The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burrows of Berea. Hey guys, this is Andy. A few months ago, Rick was interviewed on the Zach Davis channel. So today we're swapcasting. Enjoy. And what's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning back into the channel today. My name is Zach Davis, and today the interviewer gets interviewed. We have with us Rick Welch from the Burrows of Berea. How are you, brother? Good, brother. Thanks for having me on, man. Well, thanks for coming on. The interviewer gets interviewed. (laughs) That's good. Well, when you get to come on a highly esteemed channel like this, I know it's I've been waiting. Yeah. What took you so long? Well, forgive me. You know, trying to just trying to weed my way through, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. all the the high demand requests that I have. So we finally made it. Now, got Rick on with me today. I just wanted to kind of hear your testimony. Interviewed Pete and Rachel Rue a little while back, and I'm hoping to do a little more testimony stuff just to hear of folks who came to faith in Christ and and what your journey was. I know you always ask the question, when was the first time that uh, you heard the name Jesus? And I might pose that around to you. I'm sure you've answered it elsewhere before, but for some of our audience, I might just start there with you. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was around the age of 10. My my grandmother, who we lived with, we had moved down from Maine uh, into a camper out behind my grandmother's house. And we were, my grandmother came up and said, you know, do you want to go to church and learn about Jesus? And I was like, who's Jesus, you know? And she's like, you don't know who Jesus is. And so she snapped at my mother and she's like, how could you not tell him who Jesus is and, and all this. But what happened was a church called Stony Mountain Baptist church uh, bought up some buses from the County, some of the older buses and they started a bus ministry. And so my grandmother found out about it and I was super excited to go, me and my little sister. And we uh, got on the bus. She rode with us the first time and uh, we went to church, you know, they had a little song leader and I was learning little songs, you know, like Jesus loves me and, um, and all that. It was just, it was fun. It was something to do, you know, back then, um, we really didn't have video games. I mean, I think they were around like Atari. So it was outside is all we did play. And so getting to go somewhere was really cool. It was a lot of fun. Um, but so I went and while I was there, you know, I, I was, I was learning about Jesus. And then I had this couple, uh, Randy and Lynn McFalls. I'll never forget them. They were just a young couple that didn't have any children and they were going around the communities in our County trying to invite children to come and, um, yeah. And so when I went to church and I heard, I heard the gospel and I responded to the gospel. Um, and it was based on lying. Had you ever told a lie? And I had, of course. And so I knew that I was guilty and I knew that I was a sinner and that I needed salvation. And so um, I knelt down at the altar and was saved. And a couple of weeks later, I was baptized uh, in the Baptist church there. How old were you at that time? Ten. I was 10 years old. Yep. This was back in 1985. And uh, then uh, about a year into it, 
they stopped the bus ministry. And I learned that, you know, insurance and liability and things like that were really beginning to take shape. You know, people were concerned that we would get sued or, or that, you know, something would happen. And so they stopped it. And that was the end of my churching. Um, we didn't go to church anymore. Uh, and so I didn't step foot into a church again until I was about the age of 17. Now, during this time, um, my family, my blood relatives, they were in drugs and alcohol and uh, they were a partying family. And my we, there was there was a respect for the Holy Bible. We had a family Bible and it was on our coffee table and there was a respect for that Bible, but we never read it. And so uh, one time I set a glass of tea on the Bible. I got smacked in the head. How dare you disrespect God, right? <laughs> um, but we never read it. And I was always like, well, you don't, we don't even read it. Like, what do you mean? Like, what's so holy about this book? And um, so there was a time when my family were having a lot of problems. And I, don't, I didn't go into the foster care system. I had a really, I had a great best friend uh, whose family took me in for a while, the Riley family. And uh, they were atheist and it was very different because they were a very loving family, very giving. They, they did everything in the world for you, but there was nothing about God there. But um, who I call my little sister, Rachel, she was in that family. She got invited to First Baptist Church of Hendersonville and they had a youth minister there by the name of Jim Pierce, who was very involved. He would go from school to school to school. He was the hip youth pastor, you know. And um, she ended up inviting me and saying, come with us, you know, to this youth group. And so I did. And that's when it started to rekindle. Now, I claim salvation at the age of 10, but I always say it's like it didn't take because I wasn't concerned with the things of God. I wasn't concerned with the Bible. I just had a lot of guilt. You know, it was almost like I was raised Catholic, you know, I was just constantly right. guilty all the time. But I wasn't yeah. um, learning. I wasn't getting discipled whatsoever. So um, I went to that. Um, church with her for quite a while. And I was more interested in meeting girls because there was a lot of pretty girls at that church, you know, and um, not so much in Jesus and the Bible. And um, shortly after that, after I graduated, uh, Rachel died in a car wreck. You know, a week before that, she had told me that she was struggling with her belief in God. She didn't know if she believed in God anymore. And I remember that that was devastating to me, you know, when she died, because I was afraid um, that she'd lost her salvation. Like I didn't, I didn't know anything, you know? And so that was um, for me when I really started getting interested in reading the Bible for myself, because I just had to know um, there were some people that would say, yes, if she gave up on God, then she's burning in hell. And there were some that were saying, no, God is full of grace and so I was confused and I didn't know what the answer was. And I didn't feel like I could trust anybody. And I think when you asked me the question about the church earlier, I do want to say this there because we are so splintered um, and every group has its own belief of what the Bible says. Um, a person that doesn't, that has not been discipled or has not studied the Bible is going to walk around very confused all the time. Yep. And that's a hard place to be in, especially when you want to know God and you want to have a relationship with the Lord. Um, 
you're constantly second guessing everything that you do. And that's a miserable state. And I'm sure other believers have been through what I've been through. I know they have really. So after that, um, after she died, it wasn't too long after that I got married and um, my wife and I went to counseling and that's when I really got serious because the minister, his name was Gail Tate. He was an, he was an artist who was ordained by the church to do weddings and stuff, but he wanted to counsel us. And he told me, you have to think about becoming the head of your household. And I'd never heard that before. My dad always said, I'm the king of this castle. (laughs) But um, at that point, that's when I really started getting into the word and studying with very limited knowledge. And I'm reading a King James version of the Bible. So I don't understand half the words and, I'm doing my best to understand it. I'm reading it with a modern English mind. I'm not using any kind of context at that point. So I'm developing all of these beliefs and I don't have any, I don't have any foundation and I don't have anyone that's telling me otherwise. So I started developing these very odd beliefs, you know, just from reading the Bible all by myself with little to any understanding of it. I never even considered the fact that Jesus wasn't an American, you know, um, in fact, Most people haven't. I know. I mean, and that's the way we look at Jesus a lot of times is we think of him like a founding father almost, but um, he was the founder, but he, he wasn't the father and he definitely wasn't an American. But so after that, Zach, I just, I just kept reading the Bible. And the one thing that I discovered was that because everybody had their own sense of belief that I should just go to the source and the source was through prayer. And I believe, you know, in the Baptist church, I don't know if it is at your church or, you know, other places, but there is a big emphasis on the word of God, on the Bible being the word of God. And that, you know, in the canon, the 66 books, and that if you want to know anything that God says, it comes from that book. And, And I, by the way, I do believe that, but at the time I couldn't, trust anything that I was reading because I I knew that I wasn't reading right because I had so many conflicts with other people, especially with people that I worked with. Um, I was a machinist. And so I go to work and we'd have all kinds of talks while we were there at work and I'd go home more confused than when I got there. But when I started in my prayer time, I just began getting real with God, just saying, look, I believe that Jesus was real. And I believe that I love the things that I'm reading that he's saying, I'm just confused and I'm, I want to know that you've got me, you know, I, I want to be able to know that I can trust you because if you are real and I know a lot of people that don't think you are, but if you are real and I believe that you are, then I need you to be with me. And I'm going to tell you, he started showing up in very interesting and radical ways in my life. And a lot of it was, through the words that I'd already read in the scripture, things would come to my mind and uh, through interactions with people, there would be, there would be moments in my life whenever I would know that um, I could, I just knew that it was the Holy spirit at work in my life. And so that's when I began to just seriously rely on the Lord for where I was headed. And I remember this minister, this pastor gets up in front of the church and he's got his Bible and he said, Um, And this is a premillennial dispensational Baptist church. And he says, he holds the Bible and he says, if I'm going to hell, I'm going to hell holding my Bible. And I thought that was the strangest thing. I was like, why would you say it like that? You know? And so 
I, I went through this awful, awful divorce. I did not want a divorce. And I fought it tooth and nail all the way up until we went to court and it was done. And I remember at that point, I felt like such a failure. This was, it, I was, I was a failure. That was the end of this. And I just went into the darkest hole. And I've never shared this um, on any testimony. So you get the exclusive rights, buddy. Uh, we <laughs> we have, I went into this very, very dark place. I, you know, I know that God hates divorce. I know that in the church that I'm in, that if I'm divorced, that I cannot be a preacher or a pastor. They won't allow it because um, you have to be the husband of one wife. And if I were to get married again, that it wouldn't have been acceptable. And so I'd have two wives. And there was just all these reasons that I couldn't do it. And I was just devastated because I wanted to pursue teaching the Bible. That's what I was interested in, but I felt like I was suddenly unworthy. And so for about five years, I had just ran and ran. I remember this one time I was wearing a shirt. It was a Jimi Hendrix shirt. I loved that shirt. I love Jimi Hendrix music. And um, this guy walked up to me. He was on a fork truck. He drove up to me. He goes, man, I really like that shirt. And I was like, oh yeah, I love it. I said, it's I said, it's Jimi Hendrix. He goes, oh, does it, that have anything to do with Jesus? And I'm going to tell you, have you ever got sincere, just like hardcore conviction? I mean, just hearing his name yeah. was immediately convicting to me. And I, and I said, no, he doesn't. And I remember I've got to do something about that. So I began to read my Bible again. And then it was later, you know, I got remarried. I went to this church. Uh, it was, I still go there actually. Uh, it's Hooper's Creek Baptist church. And I was sitting in the pews and I was listening to the, the choir. Actually, I was in the choir singing and it was this song. Are you familiar with the old Baptist hymnal, the red hymnal? Um, the heavenly highways. That's right. So oh, yeah. there's a song that says, I know my name is there. Do you know that song? No. My name is in the book of life. Oh, bless the name of Jesus. I rise above all doubt and strife and read my title clear. And then the chorus says, I know, I know my name is there. I know my name is written there. And I thought about that and I kept singing it. I felt like a fraud. And I was like, I have no clue. I have no clue if my name is there. How old are and you? It, uh, this was eight. This was nine years ago. So I would have been 39. And I was a fraud. I had played church. I had read the Bible. In fact, I had gotten quite a bit of knowledge regarding the Bible. I'd come a long way. But even then, I was a fraud. I knew it. Um, by saying I'm a fraud, I mean that I had gotten out of my prayer time and I had gotten into the church life which is if you go to church long enough, they're going to make you busy. I feel like the light is off here. Is the light off here? I feel really, really dark here. Yeah, I um, got a little darker. Is it still darker? That's better. Okay. Um, and I keep trying to get in the middle of my – there we go. Um, if you go to church long enough, a church will keep you busy. And you're a pastor. Yes, we will. You keep your, 
maybe you keep your congregation busy and maybe there's a reason behind it. I don't know what it is, but I feel like there's something to do every day. Like you, Hey, we're going to go here. We're going to go there. We're going to go to the church. We're going to work on this. We're going to put the stages in. We're going to take the stages out. We got to, you know, there's always something to do. And so I was heavily involved in the church. I felt like I was there five days a week and it was every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I was there. I was part of Bible study. I was just doing everything. And, um, but my relationship was really lacking with the Lord. I was just working and I'm a big believer in working, but, um, not without the relationship. Amen. So my pastor, Philip Youngblood, he's, he's, I went, I, I just was so convicted and I couldn't sleep because I was, I kept that conviction and I called him on a Tuesday morning and I said, listen, I have been, really under a lot of conviction about this song. And it's bothering me because I don't know my name is there. And I was like, do, do people really know that their name is there? And he said, well, he said, I do. And he said, I want you to come and visit with me. So I went to the church and we talked for a little while and he just saw it in me. You know, a pastor, a lot of times the Lord will give them an inclination. I don't care what your eschatological view is. A pastor is a pastor and they have a pastor's heart and the Lord will help them. And his congregation. And so he said, let's go to the altar and let's talk, you know, just talk to the Lord, just bear it, you know. And so I did. I went to the altar and he sat with me there for I don't know how long. It was a long time. And, you know, I would talk to the Lord. And then next thing you know, I'm crying. And then I I, I mean, it, it was up and down. It was like a roller coaster all the way across. And at the end of it, I just knew I just begged God to let me know that I want to know him. And he did. He did. Again, it didn't matter what my eschatology was at that point. And, and I say that because you and I have a lot in common when it comes to eschatology, but um, that is a wonderful thing once you learn it. And I'll get to that here in a minute. But before then, um, it's just about the relationship. And I know a lot of people that are very busy and they're working hard and a lot of them are weary with well-doing and, and I can see it on their faces. And if I can urge anyone that listens to this or sees this, make sure that your relationship is right with the Lord. That should come first. Yeah. I say that all the time to, to my folks. I don't know if they understand that or not, but there are a lot of things that you can do as a pastor, good things that can mm -hmm. fill your day. But the most important time I spend is right here in this office where I'm sitting. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And that, and it comes down to that. And, you know, there's you, you just have to get you, you have to take the time to talk to God. And yes, of course, read the scriptures. But I always I always try to remind the people, especially on the podcast, that, you know, the church didn't have a Bible for 400 years um, from the time of. They were writing these letters, you know, in the first century, yes, but they were circulating. They didn't have copies. And so they would hear them read and that'd be the end of it. And they would have to go on. They relied on the relationship with the Lord. The Holy Spirit, you know, was present with them in a way that I don't think he I don't think it's the same today. But I definitely think that we we have him. And um, but. That that had to come first. And once it did, then I started discovering things. I had uh, some Jehovah's Witnesses that I worked with. And I have to tell you, they are very well trained. 
they are. They know the Bible and they also have been taught how to twist people up in knots and get them to question even the translations of our Bible. And they would come to me and they would say things that would just blow my mind. And one of them being that, you know, Christ, um, you know, in regard to the Trinity, that was a big one. You know, that Christ was not a part of the Trinity and the Trinity is not in the Bible and all the stuff that they did. And of course I knew that, but at the same time, they used specific verses to teach that. And I know a lot of people that actually believe that um, I still hold to a Trinity view, but um I remember going into my closet, just like the Lord said about going into the inner room and to talk with the Lord and that he rewards you openly. And I was really at the point where I was almost about to convert because they knew their Bible so well. And I felt so strongly about that, that I begged God for help. And I just said, if this is where you want me to go, then I'm going because I'm trying to get to you. And if this is the next step, that's where I'm heading. And immediately and I'll never forget this, Zach, from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, it felt like it's almost like, you know, when a cold drop will hit you and you'll feel it go through your body. I had that feeling. And I heard these words. When Jesus said that he would destroy this temple, who did he say would raise it on the third day? Himself. It was a question that he asked. And, and so I went and I found it in the Bible and I read it and I read it and I read it. And I was like, wait a minute. He said, I will raise it up. I will raise it up. So I went to the Jehovah's witness at work and he was a nice old man. I loved that man. His name's Lim Lim Bentley. He's passed on, but um, I loved him to death. He was always so kind. He really um, he had grown up deaf and the church had helped him and his family his whole life. So he was stuck. He wasn't going anywhere. And I get it. But um, I loved that man. And he told me he was crying because he really wanted me to get this. And I said, listen, when Jesus said that he would destroy the temple, that if you destroy the temple, that uh, who did he say would raise it up? And he said, said the father would raise it up. And I said, that's not what he says. I said, get out your Bible because they're always getting me to get mine. Right. So I said, get out your Bible. So he did. And he read it and it kept saying, I'll raise it up. And I said, he's saying I, and I was like, I don't think your theology goes with that. And I said, I see a connection here. And I was, and he was like, I'll get back to you. And so he went to uh, the kingdom hall and he met with their leader and they had no answers. And then he came back to me the next week and he said, I'll get back to you. It took six weeks. And I got a letter from the watchtower uh, Bible and track society, which is their, you know, that's where they get all of their books and that's where they get all of their law really. Right. And they sent me this obscure verse where Ezekiel says something. The whole reason I bring this up is because I got an answer to my prayer and it saved me from a lot of trouble and a lot of confusion. Yeah. So something that pastor David Curtis at Brian Bible church says is read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Don't just believe what I have to say. Do it. Do the work yourself. Read your Bible something I've always respected about him. So a friend of mine, Billy Kinsey reached out to me and he said that he wanted to study the Bible. He was going through a divorce. He was in a place where I had been and he wanted to study the Bible and, but he had problems memorizing and remembering it. He said he'd been in church his whole life, but he didn't know anything. And so I said, okay, 
you know, I was like, why don't we go to um, Andy Bishop's studio, draft studio, and let's sit down, let's do this study, but let's record it. Then you'll have those recordings to go back to. And so he was like, cool. And so we went in and we sat down and Andy's been a friend of mine for 25 years. And um, I made Christian films. I've done music. I've done everything. And Andy's always been my sound guy. And so we were there and he said that he would record it. And I just asked him, I was like, do you want to have a mic? Because if you have questions, then bring them up because it'll be interesting. At least we can. A lot of times when you're posed with a question and you respond to it, you learn. Right. And I thought that would be good for Billy to be able to see that interaction, that it might stick a little bit better. And so Andy and Billy and I did that for a few weeks and it really was fun, you know, and Andy had some great questions and, and we really enjoyed it. And so I just said, I want to study the Bible and I really want to study it. And I want to look at it. I want to think about hermeneutics. I want to think about, ancient culture, I, w- I want to learn this book because it's stood the test of time. It's been around for, what, 3,500 years from Old Testament and then up to new. I mean, so it stood the test of time, and I really want to see what this book is about and, and see if I can learn it. And so we just set out to read and study it and to learn. And then I decided, I was like, let's put this out of podcast. Let's see if we can get people to respond to us and you know, see what happens. So we put it out there and started getting some listeners and it was fun, you know, but see, that's as with all things, when you study the Bible, especially you'll come across things that'll kind of shake you up a little bit. Oh yeah. And I know that never happened to you. (laughs) Funny, but um, I heard your testimony. So I was like, yep, know what you're talking about, but there's, um, I decided one day, I was like, all right, I want to see how I'm doing on my analytics. So I went on Google and I was like, I'm going to search the boroughs of Berea. And so I do that. And um, Berea Bible Church of Virginia Beach pops up. And I see this little, um, little tiny square, this little square. And it says, the sun will be darkened, the study of apocalyptic literature. And it was Jeffrey McCormick. And you met him, right? I did. Jeff, yeah. So I... Super, super undervalued in our circles, in my opinion. I'm telling you right now, he he knows that he's one of my favorites because I tell people all the time he's one of my favorites. And he was the first person I ever saw. And I watched that video. I was like, what is that? And I watched that video and he melted my brain. And I was like, what is this? So I just kept watching Berean because like, this is really weird. I've never heard this before. And I kept kept watching. And, then I, and we were getting ready to do a study on the Olivet Discourse. And I was like, oh, they've got one. So let's check it out. Keep in mind, I'd never even heard of preterism, much less full. I hadn't heard of anything. Um, I'd only heard premillennial dispensationalism pretty pretty much. And all of that uh, mixed with Left Behind and, you know, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins books and um, all the craziness with prophecy and stuff. And always constantly having these conversations, reading books about it, you know, the end of the world is coming soon. And <clears throat> excuse me. So I, um, I just watched the all of a discourse and it shook me because I'd never considered audience relevance in my life. Even though I was reading it, I was reading it like a newspaper. Like it meant something to me right now. So many Christians do. And, well, I mean, it, it's, it makes sense, you know, it does because that's how we're taught. But I never considered the relevance to the audience themselves. And one of the things that Pastor Curtis did was 
he talks about, you know, in Matthew 23, when Jesus is standing at the temple, he, you know, first of all, he's wept over Jerusalem. And he's wanted to gather them, like he says, you know, like a hen gathers her chicks. And I mean, he loved his people and that's why he was there. And they were rejecting him. And when he tells them that he's going to leave the house desolate, that for me would have been the indicator, like what, you know, what's he talking about? But before that, when I'd read that, I'd never even considered the temple. I just knew that it wasn't there and that there was going to be another one built for the future so that the Antichrist could come to it. Like, that's what I always knew. And so, but he said he was going to leave it desolate. And then whenever he goes into Matthew 24, they're walking and admiring the buildings, you know, and then Jesus says there won't be one stone left upon another. And then they go up to the Mount of Olives and they sit down and the disciples come to him and they ask him three questions. And why I'd never seen it before, I don't know, but I guess it just wasn't my time. You know, the Lord hadn't revealed it to me. And I, I noticed that those three questions that Jesus goes about to answer those questions. And so when I saw that he was answering those questions, I was like, well, wait a minute. It seems like if I was sitting there as a disciple, that everything that he was saying would sound incredibly imminent because there, everything he says, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, or when you see, like in Luke, when you see the, the armies surrounding Jerusalem, that's an imminent thing. And it's localized. He says, flee to the mountains of Judea. I remember asking Andy, how do you feel about fleeing the mountains of Judea? He said, I feel like it's unfair. When the end of the world comes, I'm not going to be in Judea. And, I, and we laughed, you know, but that that's really where it was at for me. It was the audience relevance, you know, to the disciples themselves. And you will be hated, right? And it's like, okay, so who's going to be hated? Well, the disciples are going to be hated because they're the ones that are spreading the gospel. You know, and then by the time you get to the sun will be darkened, I remember what Jeff McCormick had said. And I realized that this language was was used in the Old Testament and had been repetitive, used as this apocalyptic language talking about the destruction of a nation. And that just changed my entire outlook on the Bible. And I realized that I could no longer read it the way that I used to, that I had to read it from that hermeneutic of audience relevance and for every book. You know, a lot of times we turn that on and off. Rick Carter says it beautifully. He says, you have to keep your hermeneutic on. You can't turn it off and on. And what happens in our brains is that we do that. Yep. Because we'll read a few verses and we'll keep it in its context. And then all of a sudden, we'll take a verse out of its context and it'll mean something completely different. And he's like, no, you've got to keep the hermeneutic. Because if you don't, then your theology is going to be mixed up. I'm battling so, that right now in the Sermon on the Mount at the end of Matthew 7. Like I've got oh, yeah? the build on the, the solid rock foundation this yeah. week and then he compares the house that's going to be torn down the wind comes the flood came blew it away like yeah there's covenantal stuff there so. there's yes that's right and so but if you're not reading it with that hermeneutic then you're not going to see that and so what we've done because they've made this bible with chapters and verses uh, that it although it's beautiful and wonderful for study it's done us a disservice in a lot of ways because we've broken it apart and now we take verses and I do it all the time. I mean, I'll, I'll get on Facebook and I'll put a verse up and a picture of a donkey and I'll give you some sort of a lesson, but it's not necessarily in its hermeneutic and it's not necessarily what it actually means. So I'm thinking, okay, I need to stop doing that. I need to, and I have, I've really backed down on some of these posts because I was realized I'm turning it off and on. I need to be careful about what I'm sharing. Yeah. But the thing that really happened to me is that once I understood that everything that Jesus said that he was going to do that he did, 
that changed my life. And I began to see the world as something beautiful and something of value and something that I had to be a part of working with on bringing the kingdom to people that when people like Glenn Hill would preach messages like the gates shall never be shut, that they're open, that inside is the light. There's no sea and inside is the light because no sun, because, you know, we have the light of God and then how we would draw the nations in for the healing of the nations. And, you know, I saw, I began to see all these things. And by the way, I don't have it all together. I mean, when I sat down with Dr. Sam Frost, I mean, this guy can tie me up into a little bow and set me on a shelf. I mean, this guy's been around a long time, but um, I don't want to shy away from talking to people with differing views because it sharp iron sharpens iron. So my my life is now has changed to the point where when I read the scriptures, I always want to be sure. Like I look at a book like the Gospel of John, I see that I have to look at the Gospel of John as a whole. I can't just pull out chapter three. I need to see the entirety of the book to understand what the author is trying to tell those that would read the book. And then I, I separate that from the other gospels and understand, okay, they, they are these individual narratives, but yes, they do work together. It's interesting how they do, yep. but I still have to remember to keep it in its context. Then I begin to learn more. Now I understand why the Bible stood the test of time. I mean, I, of course I know that it's the word of God, but um, it's just, it's never ending. I read it constantly like you do, and I get something new out of it every day. And so, yeah, so that's how I ended up being a full preterist. And that's also how I ended up sharing that on the podcast. And then I decided to go and meet those guys down at Berean. How long ago, of, how long ago was that whole journey? Just a couple years ago? Two years ago. Yeah. So well, two and a half years. Um, I went to this past conference that you were at. And then the conference before that, when I went to that conference, that's when I went down to actually thank them. I had already been watching them and studying with them for about six months. And I had only recently shared it on the podcast and I knew I was going to share more. And I was using David Curtis's notes. He'd given us, he gives everyone permission to use anything from their website. All the resources are free and you can use them. You don't even have to ask for permission, but for me, I always felt like a hack, you know, don't, don't take other people's work. Right. So I always made sure to give him credit on the show. And then I just wanted to go meet him and, and to meet them all and to thank them and for allowing me to use it. And now, I mean, I love them all. They're, they're wonderful people. And I consider them my family. You know, it, I love them. It's amazing. The influence that they've had, like when you look at modern Christianity in America and how it tries to have influence, the influence that they have had with, you know, as small as that whole setup is, it's, it's remarkable. Sure. It is. And, you know, for me, I've had difficulty navigating because I do have a, you know, a format of people that don't believe in full preterism. Right. And so a lot of times, you know, when I was asked, like, why did you have Dr. Frost on there? And I said, well, you know, because I have people that are in our group that actually align with some of the things that Dr. Frost says. So I want to be able to have the conversation. I don't necessarily want to argue the point, but and that's kind of hard to do. I mean, if you have different points of view, that's yeah. what you're going to do. Right. But um, the biggest thing that we have learned as a group is how to love one another. And that's a, that's a big one for me. Um, it's changed my entire outlook. I mean, when Jesus says things, 
I don't know if I'm turning the hermeneutic on or off. Uh, I'm just listening to what he's saying. And he says, you know, you've heard to love your neighbor and hate that enemy. But I say to you to love your enemy. You know, when I hear those things, I wonder, are we actually doing that? And that's been that's been where the rubber meets the road for me, because I don't think especially as Americans, um, I'm not saying that we're all warmongers, but the reality is, is that we do go around and we, we call it good. And I'm sorry if I seem unpatriotic. I love America. My daughter served in the military, but um, I just have, I, I often wonder if we need to be funding bombs that blow up cities. And um, if there's another way, you know, and, uh, when I've brought this up with a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me, you know, they always tell me, well, you know, cause I'm a pacifist. I remember Gary DeMar said to me, well, isn't it funny that the Quakers that they settled in an area where they would be protected by other people's weapons. And I said, no, that's just smart. That's smart is what that is. But, you know, I feel like that um, a lot of times that we will attack others and what does it mean? What does it mean to pray for them that, will use you um, to to love them that are going to persecute. I've never had true persecution. I, I don't know if you ever have. I've never had anybody drag me in the street and try to kill my family because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've had people tell me that I'm an idiot. That's not persecution in my mind. That's just somebody being, you know, an idiot themselves, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I've, I've never learned. really suffered persecution. I've learned grace over the last couple of years, especially, and just kind of being a little softer towards folks after the way I've been come at a little bit, probably like you have over you sure. know, some of the things. But I, I think that what we go through and that helps us to see it. And, you know, just even hearing your softness toward it, even toward Sam, which a lot of people would disagree with a lot of, you know, there's plenty of people that, don't think you should even have him on your show. You know what I mean? Yeah, Especially if watch it, but yeah, I, mean, they, I, I appreciate yeah, the graciousness. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not going to shut. Look, Sam Frost is Sam Frost. I mean, um, I've developed a friendship with him. We don't agree eschatologically. And, and when he talks to me, he, he, it's not that he's condescending. He really isn't whenever we talk to each other. He just, you know, in his mind, he thinks, Hey, like he believes that I'm a believer, but he thinks that I'm going to leave full preterism eventually. And that's because I am a believer. And I'm saying uh, that's not actually what's happening. So you need to go ahead and say that I'm not a believer in your mind, because that is what I believe. And um, I'm not shifting from it. And it's not because I'm just being, you know, obstinate. It's just because it's what I believe. I mean, it's what I read and I can't unsee it. Once you see it, I can't unsee it. And I hear all kinds of things about, you know, what people say, but I don't, I'm not really too worried about what other people say about other people. I mean, whatever, do your thing. But um, I've been more focused on how is it that I can love others? We had a few, we had, we had some, uh, we did a study on homosexuality in the Bible. We're still in the middle of it. It's Tiziana Severs that's doing it. And I don't know if you've heard it, but she's coming at it from a very different perspective. And the, the conversation is not easy to have. Because if you ask somebody the blatant question, is homosexuality wrong, you're, you're going to get, for those of us who are very conservative and who have read our Bibles, you know, that are going to say, 
Yes. It's just a simple answer. Yes. Uh, it is an abomination to God. It is, you know, but what she is trying to say is that a lot of the verses that are used in the Bible to argue against homosexuality aren't actually about homosexuality. Not all of them, but some of them. And so she's turning the hermeneutic on and she's leaving it on, you see? And that's a lot of times what we'll, we'll read that verse and we can quote the verse, Leviticus 18, verse whatever. But when you're in verse eight, you've got to go back to verse one in that chapter and realize that he's actually talking about Moloch and temple worship and what temple prostitutes were and what they were doing, like that they weren't talking about that. Or the word sodomite, for example, that when we hear the word sodomite in our modern English, we automatically think it's homosexual right. when, because of what we've read in Genesis and what they tried to do to the angels. We, we put that on it. But the, the description of what a sodomite is, is actually found in Ezekiel. And none of that, none of the descriptors actually have anything to do with homosexuality at all. So it's kind of like, huh? Well, that's what this podcast is for. We're not going to do this at church. We're not going to have a conversation for or against or look at it from an educational perspective. Um, we're actually just having these conversations, the difficult ones that normally people would just turn off and walk away. And so by doing that, and I know, I mean, I've had a few listeners reach out. They were very angry with me for even having this discussion. And I just, I have to say, I'm sorry. I don't want to lose you as a listener, but we're going to do this because this is what we do. I'm not a pastor of a church. Um, yeah, I guess you can consider this a ministry because we read the Bible and we talk about it, but we have so many conflicts a lot of times. We never really resolve the issue. But I think the point is, is that we can talk to one another and we continue to. Yeah. You know? Well, and if you think about your you and what you just talked to me about for the first 40 minutes, how many times during your testimony did you just say, this person came into my life or this person came into my yes. life or this person came into my life? You have right. to have the ability to keep having the conversation because it's so important about people because I believe God in his sovereignty brought those people into your life. He's brought the people into my life and he's going to put me and you in somebody else's life to have this conversation and whether they wind up where we are or not on pedo or credo baptism on, you know, whatever the issue is, God sovereignly works in that to use it for his glory. And, and there's, if there's no love in the middle of that, then we can't have the conversation. Right. But, but I think that's, you know, I've had people telling me that I'm unwise for having an atheist on the show and I get it, you know, but I have family members that are atheists and I'm not going to stop. I'm not, I'm just, not going to stop talking to them. Some people, you don't even need to eat with them. You know, they take that scripture and say that. And I'm like, you know, I guess just go do what you're going to do. But I'm really going to start investigating more about the love of God and what that means. Because there is a verse of scripture that I hold very dearly. It says that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And I was. Um, and the only reason I'm godly now is because of what Christ did for me. And because when I stand before God, it's not going to be the works that I've done. It's going to be the works that he did on my behalf and that the blood is applied to me. And because of that, when I see people that are acting in an ungodly fashion, I always remind myself that Christ died for those type of people that didn't know him. Uh, we're talking about that he died, you know, nearly 2000 years ago. And I am, I was born in 1975 and I heard him for the first time in 1985. 
that's a far time removed from what he did, yet I still received his glorious grace as an ungodly person. So I feel like we, you know, instead of trying to make a person become the image that we think they should be, that we need to remember that they were made in his image and that he is the one that set up the plan and he's the one that's going to do the saving and that all we are expected to do is to share that gospel with our world and we are to live as diplomats of a king, as ambassadors of a king and to live in a kingdom. And, you know, I believe that salvation still goes on today, just like you do, and that it's ongoing and that that's really where it's at, that we need to continue to share that gospel with everyone and not just shut them down to, again, how easily we will try to make people conform to what we think is the image of holiness, right? You have a drug addict. I'll give you two examples. And then you can wrap this one up. I don't want to go too much longer, but I'll give you two examples. I have a, I have a friend of mine who had, who battles addiction to methamphetamines. He was raised in a church family. He knows the truth, but he is addicted to this drug. And I see his guilt. I see the things that he says, but he keeps going down that path. And I've had people tell me, you need to just shut him off. You need to quit. But I just simply won't, and I'm not. I'm just not going to, because I know how long I ran away from God, and maybe my problem wasn't, you know, being addicted to a drug. My problem was all kinds of other things. You know, I, I was interested in illicit sex, or I was interested in making a quick buck, or whatever my problem was. God still hunting me down, like C.H. Spurgeon said, the hound of heaven, you know, continued to come after me. And so that that's how I'm going to treat them. You know, Tiziana, who's on our show, she does the notes from the underground. And the, the whole point of that segment is to tackle thorny topics, topics that we don't like to really discuss, you know, whether it's um, transgenderism or homosexuality, or uh, we'll do a biography about something that and get really deep in the history and Sometimes history isn't pretty, and the Bible certainly isn't pretty when it comes to history and relationships and people. David's life, just read that, you know, see all about it. A man that would, you know, a man that was, who was after God's own heart, looked down at a naked woman of another man and literally stole her and had him killed. I mean, this is David we're talking about here. So, when Tiziana was in church, she grew up in, in church and then later in life, you know, I've said this before, I'm sorry to say this on your YouTube channel, but she was raped by a pastor. And when that happened, it took her decades, Zach, to get over that decades. Um, she's close to my age and she now she loves the Lord Jesus with her whole heart. And it, don't be surprised if she pops off a curse word and we have to beep her out on the show. And why do I say that? Because. She's still a human being and she's still seeking and she's on the path that she's on. And I don't have to make excuses for Tiziana because the Lord is the one that covers her, not me. Yeah. I don't need her to conform to my image. We've mentioned it. I remember Sarita mentioned it to her one day. She's like, you, would you mind not saying that word? Like I, it shocks me. And she was so apologetic and she's like, sometimes I just say them and I don't even realize I'm saying them, you know, but it is, 
I'm not going to shut down the conversation because Tiziana, you know, might have a rough thing to say one time, you know, and I hope that the listeners will, that that is something that will keep them coming back and that they'll listen because you have people in your life and your the people in your church have people in their lives that they work with, that they're related to, that they don't believe in the Lord and they don't live a godly life. And they see and look at us sometimes and they think that we're goody two shoes or that we can't have a conversation because we do shut them down too soon or whatever. Sometimes it's good just to relate. Yeah. Just to be related. I was, I was somewhere. I won't tell you where I was, but I was somewhere the other day because local, if anybody watched this local and I was around somebody and he dropped an F bomb and somebody eventually about five minutes later told him who I was, that I was a pastor and he came up to me and apologized and I said, man, listen, I've heard them all. Like, yeah, <laughs> like I know. Yeah, I mean, is. and that's what they'll right. do. I mean, and you know, we, I like what uh pastor Josh Sexton, he comes on our show sometimes and he said he, he used to get angry because he was like, when did the F word become a bad word? Because that wasn't even a word when Jesus was around, you know, and I call it, it's because we call it a bad. No, I mean, obviously we're growing up. We get it. We get, we're not going to say those kinds of things. If we consider them bad, then we don't say them. But you know, we had this. We I had a listener that was very angry with me because we were talking about uh, the use of pronouns. I own two businesses and I interact with customers in the world. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but in the professional world, a lot of times, like on a Zoom meeting like this or whatever, they'll have the pronoun bef- beside it, like he, him, or she, her, or they, them, or whatever. And I was talking about that. I I learned that I I would be considered cisgender because I was born a male and I identify as a male and. Um, uh, Sarita was really, she was not having it. She's like, I'm a woman and you're not doing it. And I was like, okay, okay, fine. Um, and I said, but if somebody comes to me and says that they would prefer me to use the pronoun, I said, okay, like I'm, I'm going to do that just to be respectful of them at the, in the time. If they ever ask me what I truly feel about it, then I will honestly say it. But when I'm in my professional life, people think, well, you're a Christian wherever you should be. Well, of course I am. But at the same time, this is what they're doing in our professional world. And at the end of the day, I'm just trying to put my kids to school like everybody else, right? And I might so, go a different route with you on that one. So you would? I might play that one the other way. But would you? Yeah. What would you do? I'd be curious. What would you do? I if it's a male, I'd say so you're not gonna do you're not gonna do the work with them? Well, I don't I don't know about not doing any kind of work with them. I mean, okay, well, I, when I go to the doctor, I don't ask the doctor, are you an atheist? Like, I'm no. not, okay. Yeah. No. So I let him work on me. Not. Yeah. But I just mean, as far as the pronouns go, I would have a hard time with that. Well, one. and I've had some listeners that they said, I'm not listening to you anymore because you're just, de- you're, you're crazy and you're dealing. I was like, okay. I mean, I don't want, I don't want to lose them, you know, as a listener, but I'm just going to be honest. I'm not going to lie to you about it. I didn't even have to talk about that if I didn't want to. Right. So why did I do it? I think that's where we've got to be mature enough as people to understand, okay, you can do that. And I can disagree with you doing that. And at the same time, me and you can still be friends and have a conversation. But there are so many people theologically. No, it doesn't matter what the topic is. If you disagree with me on this one, we can't have anything to do with each other. I loathe loathe that. I loathe that. I want to be able to talk to people. Yeah. And and I want to be able to share when I have a moment. Okay. You know, so with this podcast, I've led a few people to the Lord. And I I never expected that that was going to happen. I had a man that had worked with me and he was listening to our podcast, you know, and he came up to my office and he was very upset and he talked to me about it, you know, about what was going on. And 
And um, I just, I remember I led him to the Lord right there in the office, just, you know, to have a relationship with the Lord. And from then on, like he sends me verses of scripture, like every day, like this guy, you know, um, but if I have a conversation with him about those pronouns, he's on the opposite end of the spectrum. Like, sorry, buddy, that's your problem, not mine. And I'm like, well, that's cool. But I, I did write your paycheck. And that's because I was being respectful. You see what I'm saying? With yeah. the other people. Now, how do I feel about it? Well, I know that people are confused. I know, you know, some people are being obstinate just to be obstinate. But some people are confused. And so, again, Christ died for the ungodly. And that means that there are some people that are in our lives that are acting ungodly that eventually we will see them come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. I think that's important. I want to treat them as if they are prior to, I don't go into a bar. I don't drink, but I, I don't go into a bar and then like go drinking with pals and then trying to, you know, share the gospel and be like, I don't, I don't do any of that kind of stuff. Like I just mean like in my professional life, where I'm, you know, I have a customer that's writing me checks, you know, then I need those checks to be able to pay my people. So I have to engage in this world and do business. Otherwise, you know, if, you know, somebody might say, well, you'd take the mark. It's like, well, that was long ago, <laughs> you know, and they're like, what? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I just think in that, again, and that's why I wanted you on here just as an encouragement, because you've been such an encouragement to me and pray that your testimony is an encouragement to others. And just to see that, I mean, we're real folks with, with real struggles and real people that want to walk with the Lord and, and see others to come into it. And you and I, maybe even more than some of main Christianity, we get involved in conversations that people don't necessarily want to get involved in and you more so than me especially and i appreciate that yeah well and i appreciate it too and i know um you know josh and carrie thompson they're at your church right they are and i think addy just celebrated her 13th birthday addy did she's her happy birthday addy that's so cool because she was uh she uh we found out she was a fan of the show which was uh you want to talk about beeping out words like i was like hey we got a 12 year old that's listening to this show now, you know, like what? But um, I got to meet them at the conference and I love that family. It's a sweet family, but um, happy birthday, Addie. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, Rick, thanks for coming on. Appreciate you, man. God bless you. And if you don't uh, already listen to the boroughs of Berea, tell the folks where they can find you at. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, if it's okay with you, I'll do a swap cast. I might put this out on our show too. And, um, uh, for those of you guys listening, go check out Zach Davis's channel. And uh, we're a supporter of that channel and uh, we love what Zach's doing. And so go out there and uh, like and subscribe to his channel and boost his numbers. Will you go do that? It's a lot of fun. He's, a, he's got a wonderful pastor's heart and uh, we just we support that. Man. All right, brother. Thank you. God bless you. Take care. Take care. Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burroughs of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burroughs of Berea, you'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys.